0: up buddy what's happening in the beautiful state of california where it's always sunny and perfect and everybody's pretty <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, we we range from a brutal low 60 degrees to some high 80s on a bad day <laughs> here, here in the midwest california is like the mythical land <laughs> there,
0: there is a cloud in the sky today <laughs> you saw a cloud you know, I, I, here's something else that struck me that I, I, I just thought about like probably an hour ago. I just thought I'm interviewing Brayden Flynn. What? Your name sounds like a, a, a hero, like a, <laughs> like a medieval knight. Like well, thank you. you're the dude, uh, you're the dude that like saves the princess. Is that? Uh, <laughs> I, I have, I have saved a princess once. <laughs> You've done it. Before. I knew it. I totally knew it. <laughs> to but to pivot from that, let's talk a little bit about who you really are in your in your not hero life boring life go on boring compared to that <laughs> you ha you have you're you're married you're a photographer, you have like seventeen different things going on give me give me a little rundown on all that.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll try to make it a little on the short side. I am a dad. I've got four kids, a wife who is amazing and takes care of a lot of stuff. I have, while I'm doing all these other projects I have going on, but I've been a professional photographer full time for for eight or nine. I feel like I've been saying eight years for a while, but let's go with eight or nine years and, but doing (laughs) photography for probably like 12 to 15 years and yeah. Started out shooting bands and concerts and could talk more about that as to how I used my that strategy to get into (laughs) concerts for free and uh, shoot all my favorite bands and be on stage or against the stage. But from there, uh, started shooting Lifestyle. I grew up by the beach in Orange County, which uh, most in Costa Mesa, where all of the surf culture really is, I guess, in terms of brands like Hurley, Billabong, Volcom, Mm. Ruka, all of them are right here quicksilvers and huntington the next city over so a lot of I, that was very influential in my life as as a kid that was a surfer and looked up to all these different professional surfers on the other side the a lot of my friends ended up in the clothing world and either then working for those companies or starting their own things so i started as a photographer started shooting more lifestyle for their brands which was really fun and got into fashion photography from there sort of fell into weddings as something I was avoiding because in ten years ago it was. Uh, um, you're you're from that era of shooting weddings, correct? You yes, know, I have shot some weddings. You shot some weddings in your day. There's, you know, <laughs> second shot, second shot. Yes. big difference. Oh yes, yes. Big difference. In, there, I, in my opinion, there's a big difference. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, the, you know, the dream was more being this commercial, high-end commercial fashion photographer, but. And weddings were that little thing where people are like, "Oh, that's cute, you shoot weddings," and <laughs> yeah. you know. But I always knew that I would love them because I am. When I was a kid, I thought I was going to be a trauma surgeon, or when I was playing baseball, yeah. I was a pitcher. I, I've always put myself in right. positions that are high stress, and I perform well in those situations. And I right. you know, was extreme extrovert, love people parties and so weddings were actually a really neat fit of it sounds
0: like you should be a wedding photographer yeah
1: and really combining this editorial documentary thing that i had when i was shooting bands live but then also more of the fashion editorial side and the first handful of weddings I shot really were coming from that world of lifestyle where it was either girls that were designers or stylists and they were getting married with really hip friends at cool locations and shot they wanted their wedding shot in a way that was not quite as traditional and so I was able to come in there and do that in a way that was really fun and hip it
0: resonated with them because they saw your influence that you had from their fields
1: is that fair to say
0: correct yeah so you kind of you kind of brought that in with you, of course.
1: Exactly. And, and then it was also... Organically, probably. Yeah. And it was also, for me, it, was, it felt very resonant because I really enjoyed that world. And so I was able to do, sort of combine those two things and do it for someone. And it almost felt, it got to this point where I was feeling like I was giving people this gift where I can do this on their wedding day. And it was a really neat combination.
0: How self-aware were you at the time that that, that was what was happening? Um, in that you, you you were probably different than a lot of other photographers at the time, but did you know it, and did you know why?
1: I had the idea in my head that I was fortunately I was actually a youth pastor when I was first starting out as well, so I had a I was in commercial real estate and then oh my left goodness. commercial real estate to be a youth pastor, which is a very great financial decision. <laughs> and then, then, but it was a small one service little church and the executive pastor really encouraged this bivocational life because like how in Orange County, which is not the cheapest place to live, how could you like do this for a long time? And so I was doing photography on the side, but it allowed what, right. and when I'm educating other photographers, the thing that I say is like, listen, do not quit your day job because in when you, if you are not in a place where you can actually support yourself financially, then you really, it puts you in this place where you are desperate for work. And when you're desperate Mm. for work, you take anything that comes your way, whether or not it's actually a good product fit, whether it's a Mm -hmm. good client fit. And with that, I was actually able to be really picky. It's like my wife would probably argue and say, no, you said yes to everything. But (laughs) you know, in my head I was being picky and I and I did it in a way like a very. We could talk more about like how I was picky, but a lot of it came to do with how I was pricing, and I didn't really give my prices until I talked to a couple. And sometimes my prices be. Is price that right? Be, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I still don't ever give my prices until I talk to a couple. And so, but you do have
0: uh, standard pricing, or or or, or did, does it fluctuate based on the variables that come with each different wedding? Is that a fair assumption? It's a
1: fair assumption. The. The answer is both. (laughs) So there's definitely a standard, but most of what I'm doing today is some, it's like three to four day events. And so I'm usually getting an inquiry from a wedding planner versus a couple. Typically, if a couple is inquiring with me, I'm out of budget. So if it's from a planner, then I'm asking the planner, say, like, hey, what are they looking for in their coverage? It's right. like If it's a destination event, which I'm mostly doing, I, is there a welcome dinner? Then are there a day of, like, this coming weekend, I'm going to Napa, and there's going to be a welcome dinner. And then the next day, they're doing this event where it's croquet on the lawn, and I'm shooting that. Then there's the rehearsal dinner. Then there's the wedding day on, that's, I think we have a holiday this weekend. But, it, you know, so the wedding's on Sunday, and then Monday is... A brunch you know so it's literally four days of events and
0: so you you're you're in a position where it behooves you to custom price virtually everything you do because how could you have a standard that works across the board i mean
1: i i could have a base package where it just showed all these different situations and that but typically i'm just putting together a custom package each time that's sort of based off of like my bar because sometimes a planner might want me to include pricing in the package, or they, sorry, they might want me to include travel in the package, travel, or, right. mm-hmm. or they might want me to have that as a line item after the fact, because right. the couple's a little more price sensitive, and that number might seem higher compared right. to the other people I'm bidding against, Right. or makes, the couple might just want it all wrapped in because everyone that they're dealing with is from out of state, or everyone's local and want me to feel local as well. So you
0: typically are dealing with a liaison of sorts yes. in the, in the planner. It's it's rare that you
1: deal direct. It's both. Uh, typically though, the when the couple is not using a planner basically, I generally know that they are out of budget. There's been a few times where it's like I'm the first thing that they're booking and they don't have a planner and they want a planner and that works out really well. And then I'm able to actually refer a planner, which is which is a good thing to be able to do.
0: So that goes both ways, too. I mean, you can you can refer them to somebody that they're looking for that you're familiar with. Yes. Which is fun. I have I I have a question that I don't want to forget about. And if we keep going, I'm going to forget. But tell me some of the bands you photographed because I'm curious about that.
1: Oh, I photographed bands, I was shooting bands four nights a week, and doing that for a lot of years until I started having kids, so I've shot just about, I started out in the hardcore like punk rock scene, which is really fun to photograph, I had buddies with the guys in the band Thrice, and so I shot them a ton of times, they're sort of a yeah. Orange County sort of punk rock hardcore, but
0: I know of Thrice. Yeah,
1: they're they're really rad guys, and fun to shoot because they're very animated, and doing yeah. all sorts of stuff on stage and then got I was more into the indie rock folk scene so shooting everyone from I've shot the White Stripes Arcade Fire was probably my favorite band to shoot I shot them a couple times Wow Bright Eyes I was into them for Conroe oh, yeah. Burst for a long time and then mm-hmm. The Faint was really fun the same label and yeah so I mean I've Sufjan Stevens I shot the Black Keys their first album when oh, it was just the two of them bloody. that was amazing really small i think it was at the l ray in la which is a pretty small venue Um, dan and patrick those boys can rock yeah
0: also uh very pastor friendly bands i feel like yeah like i know other i I know other pastors and one in particular like i think you just i think you just listed his like favorite band list there probably right (laughs) down the line (laughs) So you, you moved from concerts or photographing bands, s- transitioned into the fashion industry. Tran- it was like a, s- it seemed, it seems pretty seamless. Like it all seems to make sense, especially being out where you're at, um, to go from bands to the fashion industry to weddings. And now you're primarily, for the, for the most part these days, weddings. You don't do the concerts, you don't do fashion for the most part, it's weddings. Is that, is that true? Like weddings sort is of, your weddings yeah. is your is your bag.
1: Weddings is my bread and butter, and right. it's consistent. And you know, with the higher price point, I am shooting less weddings than I used to. So with that, I still am a bit of a yes man, and so I, I shoot architectural photography. I've got a couple of local architects, oh. and so I'll do that. And that's more of a midweek thing. Or last night, for instance, I shot a thirtieth birthday party up in Beverly Hills at this ridiculous estate. You know, just. <laughs> unbelievable (laughs) but you know it's stuff like that where it's gigs for a couple grand that it's worth your it's worth your time yeah it's worth it's worth my time and it's sort of the just getting another little midweek shoot in
0: yeah and i would imagine that it's
1: fun yeah it is no i it's like i i would say that i have accumulated a really amazing clientele that are, are fun to work with
0: so given that let's 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 jump off of that and go to for someone that's listening where does somebody start because you're you know you're you're well into um, this successful career that you you can look back and see the stair steps right but where does somebody begin if they think to themselves you know what I want to get there someday I want I want to make that my purpose I want to make that my
1: goal to essentially do what you're doing Um, where do they begin that is a great question and i would recommend for someone who's beginning like i said earlier don't quit your day job be able to be able to have something that's bringing in money so you are not dependent on this craft to make money because it puts you in this desperate situation so that would be my first recommendation the second recommendation is to shoot often and shoot all the time and that is really how you start to develop what your taste is, what your style is, the things that you gravitate towards. Like some people, if you're a little bit more introverted, you might love architectural photography. You can come into a house, maybe the architect's there, maybe the designer's there, maybe the homeowner's there, but often you're there by yourself just shooting at your own pace or being a food photographer or, you know, some of the, or product photographer. But if you're someone who really loves engaging people and shooting in that sort of sense, there's all these other avenues. So... Getting, starting out shooting friends, you can contact local model agencies and say, hey, do you have any young models that are looking to test? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. start shooting them and take them in different locations. Shoot indoors, shoot outdoors, learn all those different things. And, you know, th- people will give you two different takes on emulating and copying another photographer's work. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I was in, I went to school for business at a college out here at USC that's uh and i studied business but after that i went back and i took all the photo classes i could at a local community college which happened to be the best community college photo department in the country luckily and they had a bunch of ex like either working commercial photographers at teacher as teachers or they had ex brooks which is a big photo school right. out here Yep. that i think is no longer but so it was right, really so really great it's done but I went through all of their classes and I wanted to learn the difference of how to not just, I was already, I was already getting published in magazines while I was, you know, from shooting bands and all that sort of stuff. But, I wanted to learn the difference of what it is to actually not just take a good photo, because anyone can take happen to take a good photo. You can take a, sh- a thousand photos and come away with a good photo. Right, Right. But okay. how do you make a good photo? And how do you actually construct from the ground up? Or how do you think critically? as Like, what do you actually want in your frame? And how do you want the subject to be? And all of those things. So, getting long, that long way to say, you know, in a lot of these classes we would actually have to find an ad and we'd have to try to light it the exact same way. So it would cause it, so if you're looking at another artist's work, another photographer's work, and trying to do what they did, figure out how it was lit, and critically shoot in a way that you're sort of copying that, I think that is a great way to learn. But it also, you have to get to a point where it's almost like learning an instrument. You, you learn the basic chords, you learn the basic scales, but then once you master the scales, you learn to then be able to improvise and it frees you up to create. So that's sort of a deal where you can figure out photographers that you love and try to shoot like them. I generally recommend looking at, if, if you're a wedding photographer, look in the fashion world, look at as a, as a wedding photographer, you have to be good at so many different types of photography. You have to be a good product photographer. You have to be a good event photographer. You've got to be a good destination travel photographer. You've got to be a fashion photographer, a family photographer, you know, all these different things. Mm. So you could be looking at like a Bon Appetit magazine and, and get inspired for how you're going to shoot food from that the caterer pre- presents to your guests how to, you know, architecture of how you're going to shoot these locations that you're at. So getting inspiration from other sources versus just looking at wedding blogs as a wedding photographer.
0: How much of your success do you attribute? Let's, let's, let's specifically zoom in on the financial piece for a second. How much of your current success do you attribute to your business background at USC? I think I heard that right, correct?
1: Yes. I, gen- I th- I think I'm a good photographer, but I think there are a lot of photographers that are better than I am and are a lot of photographers that are incredibly talented. I think that, I don't know if it's from business school, I really learned something that is going to be applied to my photography, but I think having a solid business background and more of a business mindset has probably made me more successful than most of my friends or colleagues
0: so how much how much does that play a part in what you recommend somebody do let's let's take for instance somebody wants to get started and they hear everything that you've said up until now and but as far as the business piece goes what do you tell somebody about that what what does somebody need to do to really have some sort of a foundation regarding their company their business
1: yeah, I actually was just listening to your interview with Jeremy Cowart, and he <laughs> yeah. was he was talking about you need to find you need to find that other half. I you got to get somebody, yeah, totally. Right. Like I've interviewed a few husband wife teams, and you know the husband is a little bit right. more accounting savvy and business right. savvy and customer service savvy, where the wife is a little bit more creative. And they're, so having a teammate really helps if you are not wired that way at all, right? Or finding somebody if you're just getting started at, that you could bring on as a partner and mm-hmm. have them be a part of your team that is really good at that. So instead of trying to get better at your weaknesses, really focus on your strengths and bring someone on that is good in that, those areas would be the first step. I don't think you need to go to business school to get a degree to then come back and right. be a photographer. Good. But <laughs> I, I, would, I would definitely make a note that the business side of things is as important as how... Yeah creative you are as a photographer or how like good you are as a photographer
0: is there a formula to all this does does a formula exist
1: a formula for what
0: for for achieving success regarding all the things that you're talking about i mean is it is it essentially because i've heard a lot of people give a lot of advice along these lines and it but the common thread to me always seems like hard work elbow grease you got to dive into it and 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 for instance you're saying I hear you saying well don't quit your day job which I think is great advice especially at the beginning but then I also hear you say you got to shoot all the time you got to you got to get in there you got to make it happen this is what I'm hearing you say and so to me that looks like a very busy time of your life oh yes (laughs) okay I, I wish I could throw your expression on
1: the <laughs> podcast. It it <laughs> so is perfect. So i I am also someone who is I don't know. Maybe we could say my if I have a superpower, it's that I am extremely high capacity, and that that has weak, my kryptonite. Unpack has been, unpack unpack that a little bit. High capacity. Yeah, That's your superpower. So, for example, I. When, let's go. Let's go with being a youth pastor. Those days, yeah, yep. I was shooting bands four nights a week in LA, which is an hour drive away. Which is you know getting home at one to two a.m. I would be driving up after I would have like youth group at seven, getting done at like seven thirty eight p.m., doing that, hustling, doing everything during my day job, shooting events, shooting families. When I decided to finally go full time with weddings, I had. <laughs> I was shooting 65 weddings per year including what? engagement shoots in every package plus still shooting bands plus shooting families plus shooting additional engagement shoots and so that I did that pace for probably 3 years until Were you married then? I was married. Uh I did you know I saw my second photographers more than I saw my wife I think. Yeah. And I, yeah, so, so I was able to do that pace pretty well. And I would say like the kryptonite that's happened is now the fourth child where it's like lack of sleep is like finally started to catch up. But, um, yeah, so I, but I was able to do that pace and I was able to like a third wedding on a weekend. I was actually more energized than the first wedding based on like the couple, the location, the cool. So I, I'm the capacity that I have is able to do that, you know, and back, we, we sort of got off on a tangent, but back to like, the current state of things like i am still you know a full-time professional destination wedding photographer like this next two months i'm gone three to four days out of the seven days a week every week and i have launched another business called film supply club which i launched last year and it is a p- pretty massive amount of time and it's become this incredible thing. We could talk more about that what that is. I run a podcast called The Artist Report, which then spun off into the photo report based on, you know, the the idea of what makes people successful and the business side of being creative, which is mm-hmm. what I'm intrigued by. So and then I have four kids and you know so I guess that is the continuation of my high capacity is maybe I'm not shooting that volume. I've I've really scaled down based on how I'm pricing myself and being able to still su- survive and like hit but that. But you're still
0: doing a lot of stuff. Like and still
1: doing a lot of stuff.
0: You're very high funk. You remind me of my wife in a sense. How do you, how do you take time out? Do you, have to, do you have to force yourself to stop for a while sometimes?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. That, is, that has been, if, if my wife would peg a weakness on me, it would be that I never stop working. And, yep. and I'm not good at just being Here's here's yep. a good example is when we were first married the we were going like we were dating and she was going out with me every night she was coming out with me to concerts like this is mm. amazing like I've got like she's just like me and then we get married and <laughs> not not as much you know she's not coming <laughs> out quite as much or like I'm having to learn to say no which was really difficult for me but yeah. she, she asked me, she's like, hey, can we just have at least, like, one to two nights a week where we can just hang out? Yeah. And, and I legitimately asked her, like, like, I don't, like, hang out. What, what do you, <laughs> like, what would we do? <laughs> what what do you, would we do? When like, do we what do you mean like- hang out? <laughs> so, honestly, I, I didn't know what, I had never done that. I've, oh, I was uh, always doing. When I was single, yeah. like, my capacity yeah. was if I didn't have a wife and four kids, I don't, I mean, I would be, It probably would not be healthy <laughs> the way that I'd be living. Right, but, right. Uh, so, so that is, I guess, more of an insight into my own crazy head is like I, or maybe just my dementia of not even knowing how to hang out.
0: It seems to me then, given all these facts, that it's more important for, for even for someone like yourself as opposed to other people that that don't even have the capacity that you do that it's more important than ever for you to be profitable with your time. Absolutely. So how do you price so that you are See how I turned that? See how I came back to that? <laughs> but I am I am intrigued by that cuz you're constantly going, right? And so if you're working all those hours, it o- it only stands to reason that your time is m- super important cuz you 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 have the same amount of time as everybody else. You don't have more hours in a day than than I do or anybody else. So how do you make it make sure that you're compensated for those hours so that you can look back and say yes, that was worth it.
1: I think those are that's two different answers to that question. One is okay. I'm probably not compensated appropriately for my time because a lot of my time is spent on things that I think have potential to be things like all this stuff I've been doing for the artist report. I've been doing that for two years and mm-hmm. I started off doing that all video, which was a really I great idea, but it's foolish idea because video <laughs> production is way more consuming than just audio production. And oh having, my, I, yes. most everyone i I had to be on location with the people that I'm interviewing. So I was driving to LA and getting a film crew and mm-hmm. just silly, but the, in terms of with weddings, I had to get to a point of, I guess, I guess I, I couldn't go at that pace anymore for the sake of my marriage and my children mm-hmm. and I guess my own sanity when, so a few things that I did, and this is, if I'm teaching like someone how to strategize on their pricing or how to increase their prices, because it's, it's really scary to increase your prices. Terrifying. Uh, terrifying. So I guess let me start, when my very first year starting to shoot, I started at $5,000, which okay. for a lot of the friends that I had that were, had been shooting for a few years, it was a higher price point than where they were. And yeah. so when I came in there, again, I was not giving my pricing out. And so I wanted to meet face-to-face because in regards to building my brand and making the connection with couples that I really wanted to be shooting – I wanted to see if they were hip. I wanted to see if they were cute. I wanted to see if they had chemistry or if we could have chemistry talking right. face-to-face or screen-to-screen. Yeah. Because, man, for me, the biggest life suck is shooting a couple that I don't connect with or I feel like it's just like I'm pull- having to work so hard to get them to do what I need them to do. Regardless of the money. Regardless, Regardless of the, of the, the compensation. Totally. Yeah. And, and I, we can go talking into like when I got to a really high price point and sort of the shift that happened with some of my clientele and which was just – it made my heart hurt a little bit in, in regards to like uh. the couples. But, but the – so with pricing, starting at $5,000, I would always meet with a couple because I didn't, want, I didn't want the pricing just to see that to be the thing that they were deciding on whether or not they wanted to book me right i wanted to be able to charm them a little bit i wanted to be able to connect with them so and i i would say if i'm good at anything in my photography business i can kill a client meeting like i am if the if a couple is near my budget and I feel like I can generally get them to book and they're going to
0: walk away and they're going to say, yeah, he's, even if they say, yeah, he's pricey, they're going to be like, but we want him.
1: Yeah. And I've had couples completely like change their photo budget to have me, which is incredibly flattering. And, but so the thing that I'm doing and the, if the coaching part of this would be saying like, listen, have a conversation with this couple and don't talk anything photography, find out about them, get them talking, talk, you know, hear about them, hear their story, find out what they do, find out what they love, find out the places they love to go. And that gets you to know them. And then generally by the end, like we've been talking for 30 minutes almost. And then it's like, so do you guys want to hear about my photography? (laughs) Like, oh yeah. You know, so then it gets into that and (laughs) I explain what I do and how I do it and my connection with the couples. And then towards the end of the conversation, I like to ask them first, like, so do you guys have an idea of where you have your photo budget? You know, and again, like this, it's changed now, from where it was. Like let's say in my first couple of years, and so typically, like, let's let's say their pricing was thirty five hundred dollars. You know, if this is a couple that I really liked, I mm-hmm. then I can come in and say, hey, listen, my pricing starts at five thousand. Usually, mm-hmm. I really like you guys, and I would love to shoot your wedding because for me, I've found like I would much rather shoot a couple that I enjoy. For less money than a couple that I don't enjoy for more money that makes and so, sense and so man I, I would love to make this work for you do you think you could come up to 4,000 and so I, I I was discounting my prices for sure but what that did for these couples and it was interesting like as I was doing it I started to realize is that it gave them this perception that one I'm like pricing pricing is a perception driver you look at this with branding you look at this for major companies Louis Vuitton you know it's They're priced really high. Is their quality of bag that much better? Probably not. But. Well, it isn't.
0: There's a law of diminishing returns, right? But they have to be priced that high because
1: it's what their customers expect. Exactly. Like they have a clientele that wants
0: to pay that much.
1: Yeah, totally. Pricing for sure sets a perception. So now at that level, I was perceived as a photographer that was exceeds their, I was perceived as a $5,000 photographer. Right. And now, so they see that, but now they're also grateful that I came in and, you know, was able to give them a discount. So now they're getting this photographer that was above what they were hoping for, and they're getting it for a discount, so they're grateful as well. And so it, it really bred this, re- Then they were excited to have me on their wedding day. And, it, and like are, this- you, are
0: you adjusting your package at the same time, or are you giving them the $5,000 package for a discount? So, I mean, are you cutting down your hours? Or are you cutting
1: out at that At that anything? time, I was giving him the $5,000 package. Okay. This is my, it, it wasn't my first year. Sh- uh, yeah, it was. I was trying to think in the first like three years I was shooting, I was maybe doing like 10 weddings a year. And then I, when I went full time, I went from 10 weddings to 65 weddings. Between wow. the last weekend of April and December, 65 weddings in that period. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, it's, it is. So, so yeah, I guess that, that is a long answer to how I was strategizing that initially. Or they, the other thing is like, they said they have 6,500 in the budget. So then that way I was like, okay, perfect. That way, like my prices usually start for base coverage at 5,000, but now at 6,500, we can include an album in there. Right. Or we can like, now you want, instead of eight hours, you want 10 hours. So it basically allowed for me to then present my actual normal packages and get them in there. But pricing was also a way that I was able to sort of judge the couples that I wanted to book. So let's say there was no connection, they don't know my pricing and they come in and their budget is twenty five hundred. I can just say, I am so sorry. Like I usually start at like five thousand I you know, my packages usually average around sixty five hundred. And, and then that, that ends that, the conversation. And that sort of ends the conversation. And what so, if you really want those people? That's what I'm saying. It's like if this was a couple that I didn't want, I didn't budge right. on my pricing. I understand. But then if it was a couple that I did really want to shoot, I didn't want to eliminate the couples that I really wanted to shoot that I felt like would build my portfolio to in the way that I wanted it to be built. Because the things you put out online, the things you put on your blog, the things you put on Instagram are the things you're going to attract back to you. And I knew that really early on. And so I was really trying to find those couples to shoot regardless of their price point. And when you're shooting that many weddings a year, you can afford to take a couple at a discount.
0: Well, that's true. On the flip side, have you ever experienced someone that has come in and you've thought to yourself after 10 minutes, I really don't ever want to see these people again. Yeah. And then they say, our budget's like $80,000 photography and i don't mean 80 but i mean like flip it have you ever had that happen yes and at that or stage something like that happen.
1: i i don't know if i would uh i don't know if i would still say yes but at that stage it's sort of you know you could come in there too and like triple your prices and then if they pay your prices then it's sort of you're getting paid for the pain
0: you're getting paid for the agony yeah <laughs> to, and then at that stage
1: it. it's just sort of taking a paycheck and that's your other sure. you know and then it affords for you to take on the other clients at maybe a lesser fee that you really want to be that's, that's really interesting. How, what happens when you do raise your
0: prices and you have people that knew or maybe that were familiar with lower prices or thought it was going to be lower, and then they complain, and they're like, wait a second, I thought this was 5000 and now you're saying you start at 8000 or whatever. How do you handle a, a situation like
1: that? The So I don't think there's not a lot of repeat clientele and I don't have my prices on the site. So people haven't really known my pricing before they're really inquiring with me. So for the most part, mm-hmm. the only repeat type of business that I really get is that same sort of like architectural or it's a family and they've like year after year. And then at that stage, I've, I've sometimes just honored that base price because they're shooting with me often and okay. sort of keep it and say, Hey, listen, like I'm, I'm usually charging this now, but I love shooting you guys and would love to keep doing it. So keep you at that price point.
0: Yeah, we've had like a lot of sisters though. Like, oh, the the sister gets married, and it's three years later. I mean, do you just say, "Well, it's been three years"?
1: Yeah, and I I have (laughs) had that. I've got a family with four daughters, and you know, I'm on on the third daughter now, and prices have come up a bit. But I I still actually am giving them a bit of a discount based on that. You know, not not even the repeat business, but I would I don't want to exclude them because I know I'm creeping up on being pretty high.
0: Well, and do you ever, I mean, when you're talking to other photographers, don't you ever just say, hey, look, you're the boss. You get a you can do this if you, you if you want to lower the price, you can. Totally. Right. If you want to if you want to call it a discount, feel free. Or if you just want to say, hey, I'll do this for whatever. You can do that and then decide not to do it for the next
1: person. Yeah. No, I had a I had a really scary year. I mean, my overhead here in California is really high. Own a house? I can't even imagine. And my kids were on the poor side of the rich town, so I have to private school my kids, and you know it's, mm-hmm. it's expensive. And the I had a a year where I raised my prices, I think a little too high, and I was not budging on those prices, and I did not book enough, and it mm. it got really scary, where it's like oh. Yeah wrap and yep. then it puts this really big stress and this pressure on and so there is there is a number and a lever where it's the law of diminishing returns where if you're at you if you're maybe just dropping your prices by five hundred dollars what if you book four more events like you've you just right. made way more money than what right. that additional amount was so being able to really figure that out, one of the things that got hard for me, when going from like 5000 to 7500 I was able to still do that with the organic. A lot of it was like leads coming from blogs I'd been featured on. Right. But what started to happen when I got out of that price point, I started to price myself out of the the wedding planners that were referring me. I was now too expensive for their usual clientele. And so then I was and then I was a little too expensive for most organic couples just yep. coming to me. And so that is the part that got really tough because the relationships that I'd spent so much time building and cultivating and you know grooming that those ones I now was sort of priced out of and so that put me in a really tough situation. What'd you do? I don't remember, but <laughs> I I started Meet, I, I, so, one of the things I did early on, which I don't do quite as much just because of capacity, is I, I lived with the motto is be all places all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then also, it's like I would go to events and also lived by the motto is be unforgettable. So, I, I went to almost every industry event that I could imagine. And I was always, uh, as that extrovert, just meeting people, getting to know people because people hire people they know and they hire people yeah. that they like. So yep. the only way for that to happen is to be with people, get to know them and be have a relationship. So I just was hustling really hard and had to develop more relationships up in LA and then from there I started going to a conference called Engage. And that's oh, yeah. that's planners from all over the country and it's mm-hmm. the they they consider that the event for the luxury, you know, wedding vendors. Right luxury market wedding vendors. And so they have topics there dealing with the billionaire client versus the millionaire client and the planners that are like dealing with those plan with, with those couples. So I started, I mean, that's also a thing you can't go once and think you're going to get something out of it. But I've gone for probably four years now and Mm. really invested. It's not cheap to go either. So invested time and money to, to really cultivate new relationships. And that has me traveling a lot more from there. So you you essentially shifted
0: your networking process. Is that is that fair to? I'm trying to call it something. Yeah, shifted I'm my networking to label. What you were doing?
1: Shifted my networking process, and I think a lot of it was just sort of sticking to my guns and not being afraid of that price point. Or the thing that would happen is I would get nervous that I'm not booking enough, so I'd say yes to something at sort of maybe where my old price point was. And then like down the road through these relationships that have been building for three plus years, they would finally come to me with this like $20,000 weekend and I would be booked with a $6,500 job, kicking myself. You know, so that's, that's the really hard part of when you do increase your prices, if you're saying yes to these other lower end gigs, you're saying no to the potential of this one coming your way. Absolutely. The other, the other hard side of that too is if you're saying no that weekend night might not book you know so <laughs> right. that's the part that's really really difficult to guess in this world
0: so you know there there is a point it seems at least in your career where there is a bit of a leap of faith
1: and you and you just you have to stick to it it's a leap of faith but it, i think it's a bit of a calculated leap of faith like i at at this stage i think with every especially wedding photographer any gig based artist <laughs> you know mm-hmm. there it's there's almost the feast and famine and there you always get to that time of year where it's like you don't feel like you have enough booked and then it's this freak out and this stress and it's like that doesn't ever accomplish anything you know it's like the your time would be so much better spent like what doing something that could actually move the needle in that direction like if if you're slow go out and create a shoot for yourself go out and you know like shoot something that you can build into your portfolio that could actually like generate leads or yeah invest in those relationships or you know but i've i have found stressing over the uh the valleys you know the troughs and your in your seasons never really do anything and i i feel like things always end up coming around historically so i i mean i i'm not i I like one
0: i like one of your in one of your talks that i saw you were talking about hustling but you were talking about hustling with with purpose because otherwise it's just being busy. And I think you said, you know, b- just being busy for the sake of busyness is really awful. Um, so I, I appreciated the hustle with purpose. And I what I hear you saying now is like, if you do start to sink into one of those valleys, um, make something happen, get after it, you know, totally. hustle, but hustle with purpose, hustle with With something in
1: mind, and the the hustle with purpose really comes from the culture that I think we're now surrounded in. Where you, if you hear, if you just like at a coffee shop, you listen to people that are just running into each other, that know each other, like, "Hey, how are you doing?" It's like, "Oh man, busy. How are you? Oh busy. 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 I'm so busy." And and they're saying it as like this badge of honor. Yeah. Where it's like that's not a good thing. Like being busy sucks. Being busy (laughs) is not fun. You want what you want is to not be busy, but be successful. So how do you, how do you intentionally hustle? You know, like do it. Don't just be returning emails like that's busy. And with busy, that's not fun. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess, I guess there's that is, it's just really being thoughtful with your hustle. And I mean, if you haven't read the book Four Hour work week, read the book Four Hour work week by Tim Ferriss, that that guy, Works way more than four hours, but but the thesis <laughs> of the book is really after like you can do a lot of the work you do in a full eight hour day in way less time if you consolidate it and you're intentional with it.
0: What what else that brings me to actually one of my last questions maybe my la this is my last question about it's about consuming media. Are you a reader?
1: Yes, massive. And well, so I am a I'm an audio listen. I I don't have time. Uh, I lie. I. I was gonna say I don't have time. I've I've been actually enjoying and forcing myself to have a little bit of downtime where I read books yeah. for pleasure, but yeah. I consume a massive amount of business books and podcasts and information that way, all audio.
0: So four-hour work week. What are other your other recommendations, either books or podcasts?
1: Let me just think through books that I have gone through. I mean, I'm probably going through about three to four books a month. So almost
0: a book a week, you kind of roll through. Yeah, and and you're and you're listening to them. So you're doing other things while you're listening. A lot like of it, I way drive for you to a
1: lot. I I drive a lot. I have a lot of like okay. three hour drives, hour drives, and, but I also I listen to them to and from my office. I listen to them as I'm doing dishes. I listen to them. Generally, if I'm if I'm not, if I'm not doing something that involves like using words, like writing mm-hmm. an email or having to read something, then I'm listening to something. So, I mean, currently with the business that I have, Film Supply Club, I'm, I really believe in need to know learning. So, I'm trying to read things based around skills that I'm trying to use right now. So, what I'm trying to do is scale a business. It's, Mm -hmm. it's grown, you know, we, I have about 400 members. I just, earlier this year, brought someone on full time to be helping me with uh, Film Supply Club. And, what what that is? It's basically a, it's a member based community where I have have done a lot to build relationships with both basically any sort of thing tool that you need as a photographer you can get as a discount as a member. But it, it started oh. out as film is expensive. Let us help you save money on film. So you pay a member right. an annual membership fee, which is really it's like either five bucks a month to ten bucks a month, twelve bucks a month to then get wholesale pricing on film. So people that are shooting film are saving thousands of dollars a year at Film Supply Club. But we've sort of this last year expanded to be more than just film photography, but then we have everything from like hotel partners like the Standard Hotel and Bunkhouse oh. Hotels to, you know, your gallery hosting to accounting services, virtual accountants, bookkeeping virtual assistants, you know, so we have so many different things that are really, really resourceful for photographers and bringing on products like educational products and uh, other, you know, bags and gear. So have a lot going on there. So I'm really trying to learn how to... You're learning about
0: scaling. What's that? You're currently trying to learn about scaling.
1: Correct. Yeah. So there's a book called Scaling Up, which I just read. Oh. A really, really interesting read. Uh, If you've heard of, it's a incubator program for Startups up in Silicon Valley called Y Combinator, but it's a book called The Launch Pad. And it's basically an, an inside going through one of the classes going through Y Combinator. Really, really interesting. The Traction was a really good book. And that's really about how to like that that would really apply for photography as well. Of just how do you how do you really market your brand and get traction with that? I love the uh, Building a Story Brand by Don Miller. Just read that book. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's a stud. Oh, so, okay. A couple good books that would apply to everyone. So there's the one thing is amazing. It's really talking about how multitasking really isn't efficient and focusing on one thing and getting it done. Uh, similar type of book is called essentialism. Oh, I know that one. Yeah. Really, really good. Uh, then I could, I mean, I could keep going on (laughs) profit first is actually a really, really great book. Have you heard of that?
0: no but that probably applies to exactly what we're talking about
1: so profit first applies to how many businesses are especially small businesses are are living paycheck to paycheck yeah. so what the the whole premise of it you you set up several different bank accounts and so now when i get a depo- like i get a a check coming in for a gig i automatically put portion of that check like 20% into taxes I put mm-hmm. 2% into a little profit deal and then I put the rest into operating expenses and so mm-hmm. it's what it does is it like it sets you up to actually have profit from the beginning because you know work expands to the time given you know money expands to the money given you know all that sort of stuff but so at
0: the end of the year you have an account with profit in it
1: with profit in it and when taxes come you have money set aside to pay your taxes for that and right versus being like, holy crap, I owe so much money and (laughs) what do I do? Where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah, well, if people are interested in Film Supply Club, I made a little page for you. It's filmsupply.club slash Jed. Oh, my word. And if you go there and want to sign up, you will get a $20 gift card to use in the store if you become a member. So if you sign up through that link, Um, but check it out, filmsupply.club slash jed okay. and, and right. see what that is um or you could check out with the for photographers the podcast is the photo report and so mm-hmm. the photoreport.com, or you could look up on any podcast device that you listen on um the photo report also have the artist report uh, that's not photography related but definitely creative and business related
0: wow and, you, you you have a tremendous amount going on thank yeah. you
1: for giving me an hour of your time today you are welcome thank you and i guess if you want to look at my photography the yeah there's the point that of this too. conversation yeah that would just be Bradenphotography.com and it's b-r-a-e-d-o-n
0: check it out y'all thanks for a wonderful stimulating conversation and lots of information Braden Flynn. well thank you jed it was really fun to be on here with you until next time all right